Welcome, Sounds and Silence listeners, to the last episode of the season. For our final episode, we're talking with Darlene Machacon. Darlene is an elementary music teacher and private piano instructor in the Southern California area. She is also a co-host on her own podcast called Coloring the Melody, which is also available through Anchor.fm. Thank you all for tuning in, and let's welcome Darlene. We have been in quarantine for a while now. Almost Summer's almost done. Do you kind of remember what your first reaction was when we started and how that's maybe changed throughout the summer? Well, let's see. It feels so long ago, but it doesn't feel so long ago. You know what I mean? So I remember when my school district announced, okay, hey, we're going to go do distance learning for two weeks. So for me, it was wrestling with, oh, yay, like I'm going to see these kids again in a few weeks. But I thought the reality of it was no. Like, I didn't think that was going to happen, but that's what I was told. And so part of me was fighting this, I don't want to say it like this, but like this hope, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to see my kids before graduation. But, you know, seeing the cases go up and seeing what was happening, especially like in New York. And yeah, I was fighting that reality part. Um, and so I, in the back of my head, I thought, I'm just going to prepare for the rest of the school year to be all online even if I'm not being told that we were going to do that. Um, so yeah, I felt like there was just very busy, even though I was at home, but it was just because I wanted to make sure I could still reach out to those kids and make sure it was the best way. So a lot of it was wrestling with the newness of online, but also figuring like, oh my gosh, when are we gonna see them? But I thought, you know what, we're in this for the long haul. But for now, I feel a little bit more confident teaching online. Now I'm noticing, okay, like I, instead of feeling rushed to um, prepare students on how to do online, I think like, you know, I have to prioritize uh, making sure they're comfortable with the platforms, you know, not think, oh, I have to push content right away. So, you know what, let's make sure they understand what to do. But also at the, at the top of that is making sure we check in how they're doing. A lot of these kids are... They're not just restless from staying you know, in this quarantine life, but who knows what kind of trauma they're going through. So for me, starting the school year, my priorities is you know, their, their social and emotional well-being and then making sure they feel confident and comfortable with whatever platform they use. And then from there, I can start pushing content. And you know, of course, teaching is all about relationships. So if I'm not taking that intentional step forward to you know, reach out to them, they're not going to want to learn from me. What are some of your plans for building those relationships now that we are distanced? Well, part of those is doing some smaller activities where they can express themselves. So I did a couple grad school classes, speaking of grad school, over the summer. And one of them was music education and social and emotional learning. So that for short is SEL. And SEL has been around since the 90s, but ever since COVID, now everyone's like, oh, SEL, SEL, now we're going to do SEL. And so I was looking more into it. And then something in me just didn't feel right about some of the strategies. And I couldn't figure out why. And a little bit of a background, I'm Filipino, and then a lot of the communities I teach are Vietnamese and Hispanic. So then I was looking into more about how different cultures perceive emotions, too, and that's when I saw it. For me, what I was finding out was <laughs> SEL was really geared more towards individualist people, 
which of course makes sense. But then if you're having someone who grew up more in a collectivist mindset, oh, it's just not going to work. And that's just one layer. That's just one layer of the other things. I even did a workshop on SCL through an anti-racist lens and that was an entirely different thing. So I'm so glad I took the time to really look at SCL like as a whole and how it can be done for all cultures because I also don't want to be that person who's just doing a buzzword just for the sake of doing it and not realizing that it's doing more harm than good. So the mindset that I'm approaching is I want to make sure that kids feel like it is a brave space for them to share. And so that's my priority. It's like, how do I make them really feel like they're valued? Um, and that one of the one of the many things I could do that is make sure they feel represented in the music I teach, like in the stories I talk about, like, can they see themselves in the books I see when they feel like they can see themselves in my content. That's where the trust is established. And that's where I feel they can easily share their emotions. So there are so many layers to it. And I'm, you know, still freshly processing everything. But I know that if I start off with this mindset, it will just be easier rather than like, oh, I'll just do SEL. And then, oh, no, it's not working. <laughs> and then backtrack again, you know. I've never thought of that, how SEL is based off individualism. That's kind of Good point. I mean, what I think is community is if you truly see each other, understand each other, hear each other out, that's community. That's, you know, when you take the time to get to know each other. Otherwise, you're just a group of people. So that's the, the culture I want to try to recreate. So yeah, it's just, yeah, it's interesting to think about what community is and what it looks like and just to also be careful and just saying oh no we're already doing SEL like we're already doing that but I'm like have you actually looked at what it is and how it affects people of different cultures too yeah I think that's a really good point I think a lot of people do kind of do that you hear a buzzword and they're like well we're already doing this what are some activities that you tried that really worked and maybe a couple that didn't work oh my goodness for the elementary ones I I at first came up with a perspective like, oh my goodness, I can't, I can't do the same thing I usually do in person. But I thought, actually, I actually could. So for example, like reading a story, I could totally do that online. Doing a little dance, oh, I could totally doing that online. Showing, showing a rhythm like on my whiteboard, oh my goodness, I could just screen share. So a lot of these things that I thought I just couldn't do, they were just possible. It was just through a different mode. And just making sure that kids all grand, like what I said earlier, making sure kids were just comfortable with that platform, then it was really the same thing. Um, of course, what's missing was, you know, that in-person interaction. The one thing, though, is singing together. So for that one, I mean, no way was I going to <laughs> go through, like, everyone unmute yourself and let's all sing together because it wasn't, that wasn't going to happen. So what I did was just like, hey, just mute yourselves and I... I can see you. Yep, I see you moving your mouth, especially with the little ones. Like, you can just usually tell. And I wasn't going to, I guess, force a kid to turn on their camera or, like, sing because there's only so much you can do. And you don't know what's going on also on the other side of the screen. Then for private piano lessons was a different world. And I realized that as a piano teacher, I was very dependent on the physical presence of the teacher. A lot of my students are younger and don't know how to read <laughs> yet. So they rely a lot on my finger tracking the notes for them. 
And of course, when it's all online, uh-oh, where's that finger? So I would have, you know, the parents try to help um, track, but sometimes, you know, they just, they couldn't. They're working too or, you know, different things like that. So constantly in my, my piano lessons, I would check and say, hey, how are you doing? How's everything? And I would try not to, in a way, pressure them to get things right, right away. And sometimes I would, ev- I would even incorporate more moving activities than normal because especially during the spring semester, um, these kids were doing online learning all day and then they would come to me for panel lessons. So they're like zoomed out. They're done. So especially for my little ones, I would do like an alphabet scavenger hunt. So I would put like my finger on one of the keys and they would have to tell me what letter it is and they had to find something in their home. That started with that letter. So it's like, oh, here's C. Okay, find something that starts with C. And they're, you know, (laughs) and I'd be like, you have 10 seconds because I'm not going to wait here for 20 minutes. And they would just have so much fun. And And the cool thing with a lot of these games is they would also pretend to be the teacher and do that. Yeah, it was, I was really pushed to be a lot more creative. And I thought, oh my goodness, I could even do this in person too. It wasn't a lot of progress that you would usually see in in-person lessons. But again, my priority was, are these kids okay? Are they having fun? Are they still looking forward to lessons? Because that's the last thing you want your students to feel. Like, oh gosh, <laughs> here's another piano lesson. <laughs> like, You don't want to be that teacher that puts that feeling into them. Especially at the ages you're teaching at. It's, it's always so, for me, heartbreaking to see a six-year-old hates music already oh my gosh that's that wow I want if I see that I'm like where's your teacher let me let me find I'm hitting my fist right now I'm like hey, where are they let me talk to them no, I'm just kidding it's just it's just so sad I mean I, I get you know at some point you get to an age where if you want to advance there's a lot of work that has to be put into mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. they're miserable and that's what we have we have to, what we have to remember is that kids are Ooh, alert, alert. They're human. (laughs) Yeah, like we have moments when we're like, oh, we're not having it today. And, you know, we we don't put our 100%. So how do we expect kids to do the same? Yeah, we have to remember that these kids are human and they're imperfect and and they will have bad days, just like how we adults have bad days. I think you're right. I think we need to be sensitive to that and I think we treat, I mean, yes, they're not our peers. They are our children. And we need, we, and to some extent, we need to be understanding to them as children. I think sometimes people forget that, that they think that means that they sometimes, I think, interpret that as they don't get the same kind of respect. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Yeah. And kids, they also process things differently, too, than adults. But, and they also look up to us, too. Like, we are their model. So if we're, you know, freaking out about whatever, they're going to think, oh, well, I guess it's okay for me to freak out too. But then it doesn't make sense if we, the adults, are the ones going, you shouldn't be feeling that way or, no, that's not right. But they'd go, wait, but I see you doing this. So, yeah, there needs to be a little bit of not just giving each other grace, but a little bit of humility in that aspect too. Going into this next semester, are there any activities or any anything that you're really looking forward to trying that's new? So one thing I want to incorporate more are um, storybooks. So I've used storybooks a lot in the past, but I feel like not often enough. 
now I'm no seeing that, especially with distance learning. I don't want to say like I'm limited. Um, I want to I want to see it more as an opportunity to do different things, and that's the use of stories. Um, so I've seen books like Your Name Is a Song. I know Franklin Willis. He has a book called Edward's Rhythm Sticks. Vicky Weber. She has a song. Um, called or song, not a song. Sorry, a book called Rhythm Rescue. Just very interactive storybooks. Um, and they're not just there just to tell a story. They also um, represent especially minorities, like Rhythm Rescue by Vicki Weber. Um, the main character's name, um, her name is Tala. She actually represents um, an Indian American girl. Franklin Willis's book, Edward's Rhythm Six, that's actually based on his son named Weather, who is um, a black boy. So I feel like my priority now is to use storybooks that aren't just about animals because, <laughs> I mean, animals are cute, but my first grader isn't going to go, oh, yeah, I totally relate to that kangaroo there. Like, okay. And there's even this statistic of, oh, my goodness, I don't want to say the number is wrong, but there's just this huge number of children's books where the main characters are animals, probably like 80%, I don't know something huge and then minority uh, people of um, people of color they're like maybe one percent something drastic like that and I thought that makes so much sense like why are we using animals when our students aren't animals they can't relate to a panda bear but then if they see like oh my goodness that's a Vietnamese girl in that storybook there's already that immediate connection just because they see themselves in the book. So that's going to be my priority, using more storybooks that represent people of color and then tying more musical activities to do that, which whether it's songs, rhythmic, you know, different rhythmic motives or notation that I'm teaching them, different melodic concepts I want to teach them, even like motivating them to be more creative and to compose, things like that. So yeah, I'm really excited to use more storybooks personal question now a follow-up question as a new teacher what how do you use the storybooks how do you transition into a active musical activity with the kids so for it also depends on the storybook too so if it's just a regular I don't say regular but yeah like a regular storybook um maybe I would turn it into a song let's say I'm gonna actually grab one right now So this one's a very popular book, uh, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? Um, by Eric Carle, Bill Martin Jr. Um, so this isn't really like a song book, but I know of a couple people who turn it into a melody. And it just starts off as, um, brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? I see a red bird looking at me. Red bird, red bird, what do you see? So very familiar melody. And it just, you know, then it goes, yes, yellow duck, blue horse. I would do this at the beginning of the year just to encourage singing into them because the melody is pretty memorable after you hear it three or four times and the kids end up singing along with it and then it also I mean also the uh, musical purpose of that is to not just sing but also expose them to explore their higher voices um sing more into that so that's one example where I could use just a normal storybook into a song. Um, And so there are some books that are also based on songs, like um, Cat Goes Fiddle I Fee. Um, And then we, for this one, it's all about different animals. And then what I do is I would teach them the American Sign Language for each animal. Um, So they're used to also, you know, that it's part of their kinesthetic learning too. Uh, Let's see. There are also some books. Let's see. We're, we're now exploring my musical room. 
Nope, it's not here. It's probably somewhere else. But it's part of the Freddy the Frog series um, by Sharon Birch. There you go. And she has this one book that's all about just rhythm. And she goes over Titi, Ta, and Tika Tika. And I usually use that book to introduce um, Tika Tika, which is the four uh, 16th notes there. Yeah, and the kids just love stories. It sets up the scene for them, and it really welcomes them in into the world of learning. That's why I'm really excited about using storybooks more. Actually, I used to work at a Barnes & Noble, and I have, like, a growing stack of children's books that I, like, actually, Because, which I can see in the back there. <gasps> oh, I love the ones. Because. What are some things that you think are going to be lasting changes once the COVID crisis is over? Hmm. That's that's a really good question. I feel that now that we've emerged into distance learning or even reopening schools is now we're really seeing where the inequity is. So that for me was like, oh my gosh, like now it's really obvious where all these gaps are. So I feel like now that we have this awareness because that's where change really starts. Like you have to have that awareness first um, is that there will be more action taken towards how we can um, bridge the inequity that's there. So there's that. And then also like what we've mentioned earlier is the um, the social and emotional well-being of our children, especially through things like this. Like if we as adults are going crazy already with the stresses of life, like how much are our students you know, going through? Like, have we actually taken the time to ask them, hey, how are you doing? Like, I feel like an experience like this is really putting things in perspective of, hey, like, we need to prioritize the humanness in all of us. I, I just completely agree with that. And you've said that consistently through our, our interview that, like, this, this human connection has to come first. This has to come, you know, this connection with the students. They're not going to learn anything if they don't feel safe, if they don't feel heard, if they don't, especially in the arts, right? The arts can can be so personal and can be so inspiring, but it, that can't happen if you don't make those connections. And I, I also, something I've heard consistently is that all the public school teachers I've talked to have talked about how access has been such a huge issue, access inequality. That's something that I'm noticing, I'm seeing a lot of like information on like, you know, social media, Instagram, Facebook. And there's a lot of people who are saying, if we go back to school, it's going to hurt students below the poverty line worse. And if we don't go back to school, it's going to hit them worse. And it's like, maybe the problem has nothing to do with COVID. This was always a problem. Communities who are always vulnerable are now being, are so vulnerable that we're in a situation that that vulnerability is being exposed and being especially hurt. And it was always there is the thing that we, we think now, oh, now that we're online, they're going to get hurt the worst. They've been hurting the worst. They've been getting hurt. You're just now seeing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I totally agree. Yeah, there's always been inequity there. And for some people to be like, what? Now I've just figured it out. I'm <laughs> thinking it's always been in here. It's just been unfortunately covered up or like looked over. Um, but like I said earlier, like the awareness. Okay, good. That's that's where we need to start. And now, what can now that we know about this and see this in front of us, what do we do now? Do we just leave it alone, like let the cycle continue, or 
you know, move towards change. Yeah. My fear, my only fear is that when COVID is done and we are back in the classroom, I hope that people don't say, oh, great, those issues we saw, they're gone now because we're not online. Hmm. That would be my fear is that they think those issues are there because of COVID, not because of inequality that's been happening. Hmm. Oh, Oh, yeah, I really hope. But, you know, social media is huge right now. People are posting things and doing petitions, all that. When, when When people are using their voice, then it you know, in an exchange, in an ex movement, um, especially in our high schoolers. Like there's this one account I follow on Instagram called Diversify Your Narrative. And it's all about, you know, dismantling the whole white dominant narrative in, you know, our textbooks. And it started off being a small account, maybe like a hundred, hundred followers. And when I thought like, oh, good. Oh, yay. Support them. Yay. It grew to like hundreds of thousands of followers and thinking like these are high schoolers running this high schoolers. They're our future leaders. And so that just makes me also really excited that we're having these people who aren't even college already being so outspoken about these things and that just makes my heart all warm i'm thinking okay good i'm gonna be taken care of (laughs) like when i'm like on my wheelchair i'm gonna have these people probably up on a platform you know um advocating for this so that's that's the exciting thing uh seeing um the younger generation speak up for change yeah like high school is not that far you know they're only six years from where i am right now like a master's right and six ten years from now they're gonna be in the professional world making those changes. And that's really, that's really exciting. So uh, they are kids, but they're also not, they're already kind of entering the world and uh, doing those things right away. So yeah, that's, I think that's really exciting to see. Totally. Okay. I really, really want to talk about your podcast. I loved it. I loved the first episode. You have this podcast called Coloring the Melody and it's with your friend Nora, right? From, Mm -hmm. you knew her in college, I think, right? Would you like to kind of share what it's about? I would love to kind of promote it. I really loved the first episode, so. Oh, yay. And it's it's so encouraging to know that we we released one episode and people were just like, oh my gosh, yay. Uh, so the idea basically was just from this past summer. And Nora actually had been dreaming of a podcast for the past two years. But she had always been, you know, very hesitant. And it's always, you know, it can be a little nerve-wracking to start something by yourself. right? I mean, you're, I mean here you are, <laughs> just Sandra. Um, but, like, for her, she was just like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm like, I kind of, you know, want to co-host. or And then thinking, like, well, here I am. And I said, we're both women of color. And we even took the time to look at the current podcast that we were listening to, especially music educators. And the big thing we found out was a lot of the, especially the music podcasts we were listening to, they were all mostly white people. Um, And so we thought we have a special voice, a special uh, and unique perspective that isn't really out there. So we need, we need to get this going. 
And so, yeah, we started dreaming up some different topics. And we, you should just see our Google document. It's just like full of stuff we are so excited to talk about. But mainly, we just wanted to use the platform to reach out to not just music educators, but for anybody. For anybody who not just doesn't feel represented, but for also people who aren't aware of, you know, different things or don't even think of let's say our first episode was about was about colorism um not everyone can say oh yeah i know about colorism in the filipino culture uh, not everyone knows that and when you're aware of those little things i don't want to say little but little things then you kind of see how it filters into how you you know choose books and how you represent um your you know students and posters and things like that and so that's the intention is like we try to think of these big but rich, deep topics that we know most people would be interested in. And then we tie it to how um, it can be, how it can influence our perspectives in the classroom or in private private instrumental lessons, things like that. So yeah, we're really excited, um, but especially from the amount of support from not just my teacher Instagram community, but also, you know, our families and friends. Um, yeah. We're, we're super pumped. <laughs> that concludes our ninth episode and this final season. If you enjoyed this episode, give Darlene a follow on Instagram at the Darling Music Teacher and check out her podcast, Coloring the Melody. I will send out some updates regarding new episodes in the future. I really had a great time interviewing these teachers and sharing all these episodes with you all. Feel free to reach out at any point to me through the Sounds and Silence podcast email or through Instagram. Thank you all for tuning in and for listening through to the end.